Hi. I'm Orla McGuinness. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. And you're listening to The Recommendation Game, a film, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch it and then Skype and talk about it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. General Candy, who's overseeing an English squad in 1943, is a veteran leader who doesn't have the respect of the men he's training, and is considered out of touch with what's needed to win the war. But it wasn't always this way. Forty years ago. Flashing back to his early career in the Boer War and World War I, we see a dashing young officer whose life has been shaped by three different women, all played by Deborah Kerr, and by a lasting friendship with a German soldier. The film was directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, produced by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, written by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, starring Roger Livesey, Deborah Kerr and Anton Walbrook. Music by Alan Gray, cinematography by Georges Perinel, and edited by John Seaborn Sr. This 1943 British war movie was picked by Ricardo. Surprisingly, Ricardo, yes. Why did you pick this... Uh, long-titled and long-winded movie. <laughs> well, uh, this in a way is a sequel to an episode that we've done before because uh, we did uh, I Know Where I'm Going. When Joan was only one year old, she already knew where she was going. From 1942, I believe. And they made that movie because they were waiting for the cameras to be available so they could do Colonel Blimp. Oh. Because uh, I know where I'm going is black and white, and this is Technicolor. And mm. at the time, because it was the war, uh, <laughs> they they couldn't <laughs> shoot uh, Technicolor just willy nilly. There was like a limited amount of both film stock and men, <laughs> men and cameras as well. Uh, I think that this is a very interesting movie, considering that it is a movie about World War Two set during World War Two, but it was filmed during World War Two, so you don't have the benefit of mm. hindsight. Um, there's a certain reality to it, especially in scenes like when uh, he goes to the Ministry of Information and the building is completely sandbagged, and that's not a set. Mm. It's just a building in London that is sandbagged because you're still filming in the middle of the war. Like There was still German raids and... Uh, bombing missions during the filming uh, of this film so mm. uh, that in itself is a, a, is interesting but also it's interesting that this movie was banned at, at the time of uh, by Churchill by Churchill yes <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of uh, critics that misunderstand this movie because even mm. Roger Ebert says, oh, Churchill famously never saw this movie before he banned it. And uh, he wouldn't have banned it if he watched it. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> this movie is uh, quite anti-British in a way that uh, it, even nowadays it would be hard for a movie uh, <laughs> to be so critical of the British Empire as Maybe an entity. Even especially nowadays. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, it is so subtle because they still were able to make it while being under the, uh, the purview of the Ministry, Ministry of Information, which is like basically the Ministry of Propaganda. It's such a dystopian title, isn't it? Yeah. It's so Orwell, <laughs> the Ministry of Information. It's a movie that somehow, uh, I think it works really well uh, in so many levels, both the, the friendship between Theo, uh, played by the great Anton Warburton, and Roger Livesey. Uh, that I, I love how it is uh, pro-European, uh, you know, pre-Brexit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kind of friendship and, and the idea of uh, unity amongst people it's a very pacifist in a way message uh, it is a movie that kind of shits on the idea of the uh, war used to be uh, a gentleman's game and then the 20th century rolled in and 
uh, it became uh, a savage game. The good manners are important. Did you learn that in South Africa, Mr. Candy? Even though all the characters believe it, the movie doesn't. Uh, mm. The movie doesn't side with them, and um, I also th- thought there was a very interesting portrayal of love, uh, be- both between French friends, but also about the idea of love. And uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't quite like the the way that they did it. That uh, like Deborah Kerr played the played the same the different characters. Mm. But uh, the more I've seen this movie, the more I like that idea, uh, which I'll come to again because I'm going to ask you what you think of that, obviously. <laughs> um, I, like, I particularly enjoy the way that uh, they really that they use uh, the candy character to uh, to both show the the actual quote-unquote good morals that you should strive for but also how none of British society actually uh, lived up to the morals that he spews you know Mm. and I think that especially in the movie made in 1943 it has a lot to comment about propaganda and about misinformation but in a very subtle way, I get that it, it, it's, it reminds me of um, Pick Up on South Street. Starring Richard Whitmark as Skip, the pickpocket who got his fingers into everything. Anti-McCarthyan movie made during the McCarthy era. So it's like... No one noticed. <laughs> yeah, that you have to kind of hide the message, make it like so pro-British on the surface that like the dumb fucks that are actually censors wouldn't pick up that the movie is actually completely anti-everything that they stand that it's like a message of peace and pacifism and also criticism on how the British have uh, run their wars since the Boer War and the First World War and then the Second World War how at every opportunity they had the the chance to be quote unquote the bigger man hmm. but uh, they never went for it and I think that the idea of honor it's uh, quite interesting in the concept because it's like individually you can be as honorable as you want but if you serve a corrupt system hmm. you are it's all for nothing it's all for nothing and I think that that's what the movie kind of points out at the end that is like it's a movie that can both have its cake and eat it too. It's a movie that respects the individual and the ideas of like people striving to be the best that they can, but also uh, it's a thesis on the, the insignificance of the individual in a society and that why armies really are uh, dehumanizing because no matter how you're just a cog in a bigger machine and the machine is actually designed to kill rather than be honorable so no Mm. matter even if you stick a hundred thousand honorable people into an army and go to war it'll still be a dishonorable thing Uh, and i think that within that like it sounds it is a weighty movie but it's also i found it incredibly enjoyable because roger livesey that we mentioned whenever we watched uh uh, you know where i'm going that there's (laughs) Any other actor would make this character absolutely unbearable, but <laughs> he is so charismatic. And I think that it's uh, on purpose that they cast him and made it like that. That is a person that has, you know, a life to himself and is completely flawed, but you still mm. like him. Miss Hunter loves me. Congratulations. When did it happen? Why don't I know about it? Uh, no duel. Duel? I? Ich fight anyone who tried to stop it. Now will you have a drink? Double drink! He becomes human because at no point he's always right or always wrong. He's kind of like always wrong politically, but Mm. almost always right personally on how to live his life kind of thing. and I think it's also like a comment on like uh, bourgeoisie and mm-hmm. like, you know, like not having any anything beyond what you think is your objectives in life. 
and how quickly they can just run between your fingers that in the end the only thing that you have left is the friendships that you uh, and the people you met along the way and mm. that's what you should be aiming for or to actually make a change against the world but the only way to make that change is to go against the system that you're embedded in so I think it's quite a radical movie embedded into a quite straightforward propaganda movie <laughs> it is long but at no time it sags because it's always moving from mm. it's one of those things that uh, long films like that it's quite suitable for long films these epic quote unquote stories that mm. like almost generational because you're always moving with the characters uh, and uh, lastly I, I think that it's quite impressive also the, the makeup in this movie considering that it's from 1943 I think that Roger Livesey so completely uh, embeds himself in that character that whenever mm. you see him as a 70 year old he feels like the good grandfather that people mention uh, the how uh, Deborah Kerr's uh, character mm. at that stage is like he's just such a nice old man and you yeah. actually buy it because the way that he uses his entire body to perform like uh, the way that he uses his chin even to <laughs> to go in and somehow he uses his eyes and it's a really good contrast to Theo because Theo remains younger always yeah. uh, and I think it's a very clever decision that he never becomes father and stuff and also uh I said lastly already, but this is the second <laughs> lastly. Uh, I I think that the speech that Theo gives whenever he's uh, trying to apply for the, the full citizenship in England, uh, the speech about truth is one mm. of the, the, the greatest scenes in British cinema. I think it's like it's both incredibly poignant and strong, but so subtle. It just sits there. Uh, and every time I watch it, it makes me cry, and uh, oh. <laughs> and yeah, I love it for it. it. It was a nice release when I watched it there. I also picked oh. it because uh, I like this movie. Um, so without further ado, what did you think of the life and death of Colin O'Book Blimp? We did not begin well. Um, <laughs> okay. So we watched this last night. Um, I had a bit of a hard time finding it actually. Um, like I couldn't get a good rip of it and then it wasn't on Amazon, it wasn't on Netflix, it wasn't anywhere so in the end what I did was I got a free trial to the Criterion channel because um, we have one of those newfangled smart TV things um, you can down, you can have like, put the app on your actual TV so you can just watch it straight up on TV, you don't have to like uh, connect anything we, uh, we settled down the sofa and <laughs> put it on uh, raring to go um, I'd say we were probably about 10 minutes into it, uh, of, you know, 10 minutes of British bollocks, and <laughs> I paused it and I turned to John and I said, oh no, is this another, oh what a lovely war? <laughs> um, we kept going, and um, matters progressed, and uh, <laughs> You know, time jump number one happened. Forty years, forty years. Forty years And then, then something happened where I started to like it. Uh, and then by the end of it, I loved it. So. Oh yes, thank you. <laughs> oh. I was very afraid because, like, because it just it just you're in there and they're like ho ho ho, 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 ho you know home front blah, 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 jolly good chips and <laughs> I was just like oh and they're all shouting their lines like it is like it is theatre acting at it's fucking finest and I was like oh god and they get into the Turkish bath and he's like I have John Wynne Candy uh, or Clive Wynne Candy and um, John Wynne <laughs> um, and uh you know, and then it starts going back in time, and I was like, "Oh right, okay." And then you have to try and work out where we are, and like, "Okay, we're in the Boer War, grand." By the time he meets Deborah Care, I was like, "Okay, I'm on board with this now. I like Deborah Care." And then the scene in the cafe with the like, <laughs> with the 
I just like I love like posh Germans. Like everybody yeah. is so camp. It's it's just so farcical. Like these people. Oh my god! It's like why they just blunder themselves into another war. You know? It's like oh god! It's so funny. <laughs> Touched him on the raw, right? I you you also have in that scene in the cafe the the old fashioned jukebox that you just like bribed the, <laughs> the orchestra. Like, yes, yes. Waiter, waiter. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like just throw another quarter into the machine there. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's it's lauded everywhere, like all over the internet, as like the greatest British film ever. Um, and Criterion described it as a. Uh, a stirring masterpiece uh which i think like, it's kind of hard to argue with either of those descriptions like it's yeah like um i was thinking about this earlier like we talk a lot about films that uh you don't you know you, you can't quite understand how it could have been made in a particular era so you know like when we did kiki's delivery service and i was quite astonished that it was an 80s movie because it yeah. felt so far ahead of its time i don't quite understand how you can make a film that is this critical of war and Britain and like historical Britain as well, like you know, going all the way back to like the Boer War and everything, with a sympathetic German character and get it released in 1943. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, it's quite. Well, like yeah. I suppose the like the archers, like Paul Pressburger, had yeah. such a track record that. It, it can only be them making it and it still yes. got banned so yes well that's it but I mean you they got it made look, you have to look at it now though and go I think having Churchill wanting to ban your movie is kind of a badge of honour um, I wonder if they saw it as such but um, yeah a lot of people obviously talking like pointing out that did you know if Churchill would have seen it would he have seen himself in Candy which is kind of interesting but um yeah, it's funny because uh, we've been watching years and years the HBO BBC show, uh, which is fucking excellent. Oh, the Very Emma is that the one with? It? Oh yeah, me and Alex watched it. Uh, I liked it, but yeah. I think the, the it ending. becomes weaker as it mm, goes along. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Once once they kill Dan, it kind of went downhill. Yeah, Hello. but yeah, we because we like hoovered it. We loved it, but that scene when Emma Thompson's arguing for the concentration camps and pointing out how no one talks about South Africa uh, yeah. while we were watching it last night we were like oh <laughs> it's like oh it's yeah it, it really you know even by managing to not show any war really of just having it yeah. like but still being able to like show the complete and utter folly of it um but uh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> obviously the main thing behind this is the bromance. Like, it, it really is a love story between two men. Like, to the point at which him going to talk to him when uh, after World War One, um, when he's like captured, and when he like ignores him, it broke my heart. Teo. I was like, how could you do it? How could you do it? And John was like, he's with his mates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, God. Like, you are right. That scene when he, he gives his speech to uh, to the like officers about, um, you know, why he wants to come back to Britain. And it's just like, <sighs> fucking hell. I mean, it's it, like his performance. He's so... It's funny you're talking about the the makeup and stuff. I don't know if his is as good as is Canley's maybe, but he still there's such a difference not just in like how they're dressed, but how they how they play each era of their life. It's yeah. so interesting that everything that like he says in that speech about you know just he's an old man now and just wanting to come back and losing his wife and all that stuff. It's like it's all over his face. Like, all over his face I, the moment scene. where he describes that his sons didn't go to the funeral because they were in the Nazi party none of my sons came to a funeral Heil Hitler 
heartbreaking it just <sighs> breaks you but even even just a starting is like uh, oh I haven't told a lie but uh, when you live as a refugee you realize that there's a difference between not telling a lie and telling mm. the truth it's so like now kind of thing as well you know like uh, it's not something that you just know from 1943 it's a statement that has never changed unfortunately only becoming more relevant yeah yeah it's um it's such an odyssey like of a film because obviously spanning so much time but as well like it's only becoming more relevant now that's what's insane about it is britain like fucking shuffles slowly off a cliff like I can't imagine a more fucking timely movie to show people because it is so pro-European, but not even like European, just like pro, like as you're saying, like pro people, pro, pro, yeah. like in the end, people over country bullshit, you know, like just think of it as like a British movie and British cinema and all that. And like I was reading, there's a really, really interesting review of it in the Atlantic. Um, okay. Yeah, like it's a beautifully written piece, but um, they start off with calling. Britain, uh, the runt of the power countries in film history. I was like, that's interesting. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of um, Goddard uh, had a quote about British cinema where it's like, you know, in oh, order yeah. to, is it like in order to critique British cinema, you have to like acknowledge its, its existence or something, which is like, hilarious when Goddard is fucking candy. Like, <laughs> like Goddard needs to shuffle off at this point. Like fuck. Goddard also in the Histories to Cinema, uh, uh, when he's describing post-war uh, cinema, he's talking about how Poland dealt with the horrors of the, of, the concentration camps like in cinema kind of thing mm. italy w- went fully romantic the french became uh, completely uh, nostalgic and untruthful and the british did nothing as always <laughs> made nothing as always <laughs> like yeah. it's something like that the, yeah. uh, it was a uh, very much a lot of shade it'd be <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shade well, you know how I feel about Goddard. And at this yeah. point, he has created so much shit that it has overcome any any impact that he had on cinema whatsoever. Oh, yeah, yeah. As, like, uh... as far as I'm concerned, he can fuck off. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just it's an interesting way of, of, of like thinking about British cinema and its like legacy and stuff. And it's not surprising that people consider this a masterpiece of, of British cinema. I think it's a masterpiece of cinema in, yeah. in general. Like, Pyle, obviously, Pyle and Pressburger are like marvelous and just it's it's an interesting like it's like the ultimate dream team it's you know it's like coen brothers level of 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 um like creative relationship which i find quite interesting but um, yeah i i i I haven't disliked any of their films they're all absolute like the ones that i've seen are masterpieces all of them yeah yeah well we definitely uh i remember gushing over i know where i'm going um maybe i remember quite well considering we did like that's all that's a good way to go now yeah um but i definitely like that movie i didn't realize um which one of them was married to thelma tune what's her Showmaker? yeah i don't know i yeah. didn't know that there were one of them was married to thelma yeah and I, I looked that up last night and i was like that's nuts isn't that like the cutest couple ever yeah oh he i think he might have left his wife for her Jesus. Well, like, if there's one woman to leave your wife for, to I mean, it's, it's fucking Thelma, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because he was married. Oh, wait, he had three. Oh, <laughs> he had three wives. He'd one he married in 1927 and then for one year. And then he married another woman uh, in 1943, divorced her in 1983 and married Thelma in 1984. <laughs> so there but you Jesus. go. Jesus. <laughs> well, wow. like, he married the, the second one while making this movie then yeah that's quite a coincidence what did you think of the uh, choice of Deborah Kerr playing the three love interests because I think that like the first time that I watched I thought that it was quite reductive of women but in another way every time that I watched this since uh, I I enjoyed it because they are completely different roles mm. so uh, the the bit that actually is the the spine that links those characters is not just how she looks 
but also how rebellious they are in their own different ways. They said that the best place for a young girl is home. Quite so. Why? What do you mean, why? How do you know what is the best place for a young girl? Are you a girl? I said Have you any daughters? I said You see, while you men have been fighting, we women have been thinking. Think for yourself, Mr. Candy. What careers are there open to a woman? And the way that both uh, Theo and Clive see that streak on the women, it's not like I think that the Deborah Kerr being cast is more of a shorthand to so the audience knows that they're seeing what uh, what they see but uh, and I think it's a particularly good choice whenever he shows uh, Clive shows Theo a portrait of his wife Mm -hmm. not a picture because it's the projection of how you see them that actually matters because it doesn't matter even if they're identical is the striking resemblance that of that spirit, and I love Theo saying she looks uh, very similar. But you have to remember, I saw her older. Yeah. Like we grew up together, we had like thirty oh. years together. Oh man, like it kills me. I'll, and it's amazing. Like Deborah Kerr is so good in this movie because she also makes three very very different impressions, and mm-hmm. I love all three characters. Like you fall in love with her three times but not with Deborah Kerr like you fall yeah. in love with uh, uh, Theo's wife and then Clive's wife and then uh, Johnny mm-hmm. uh, uh, don't be a Johnny or do uh, be a Johnny in this story uh, uh, Mata Harry <laughs> um, I do uh, <laughs> yeah I, I know what you mean it's funny how because she does make them so different um, and because they, they are whole characters you know what I mean that you you feel like she's given enough time in each role to really like embody each person so it kind of more highlights the kind of I don't know the the like sort of sadness of Candy of like of him being so obsessed with somebody that he yeah. looks for and finds her in everyone like you, you know it's, it's just kind of like a merge to him of his own like I don't know failure maybe to realize that and not and to lo- that he lost her you know without really before really realizing and you see it it's all in his face like when she kisses him and then she just moves you know, like, just moves away and his face he's devastated and I was like oh no oh no because it's so funny because he's so convincing because he's he's so sure himself that he's like oh old girl of course you can marry him oh you know and then he you see the realization just all in his face and it's so good um i do i did laugh quite hard whenever he's like you know i was in love with her i was in love with her your wife she never told me she never knew but i seem to remember oh clive that last day in berlin when i told you you seemed genuinely happy dash it i didn't know then but on the train, I started to miss her. On the boat, it was worse. And by the time I got back to London, well, I got it properly. You know, like, imagine telling somebody that you were in love with their wife. <laughs> like, that's pretty. And, and, you know, well done, Theo. He doesn't take it very badly, which is good. But, um, it, you but, know, it, it's quite a funny scene. But obviously, he does it with, you know, like, respect and everything. But, yeah, I find that quite entertaining. I think it's also the fact that he can tell that because he never tried to get with her after they, yes. uh, which I think is a very clever decision of the movie as well. Oh, and the fact yeah. also that there's no romantic intonation between either Theo or Clive with Johnny. It's just that they like yeah. the spirit, like that drive, that kind of personality mm. close by. But it's not like seedy old man just like no. horning over this no. young girl it's uh, you know what I mean? like it would be so easy to make it that way yes i was uh, worried for a second when he's in the yeah. car with her at the start i was like oh no and it's also like this reflection of how time has passed even mm-hmm. that they won't even consider it that way like they they that they know that she has her own life and they just want to be like part of that life but not be 
the life yeah. kind of thing it's like living through her yeah and is this thing you can see both in Clive's eyes and in uh, Theo's eyes that is the realization of being old as well that like light that they're much closer to the death that they're prime let's say mm. and but there's also like a sort of peace in them that I find quite reassuring in the movie that is like they see that they did their best like they've made mistakes but they they try to live the best lives that they could and in the end it's like oh you could ask for really a people you know like um, the even the like I think that the the other moment that I nearly cried is when the uh, uh Clive's batsman dies that is just in the newspaper and oh, stuff oh yeah oh yeah we have to talk about the the way they move through the eras the yeah. use of the newspaper is really good also the use of like all the animals that he shot yeah but I feel like they don't do it as like he sees them as trophies, but they look ridiculous. And the movie seems to know that they're ridiculous. That like the elephant, like the elephant yeah. in the room. And, and it's also the 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 fact that like he's not killing anything until uh, his wife dies. Mm. Like there's a gap that like all the trophies that he was actually keeping were the memories, and like it's the photographs. And then assume it's kind of like what he does when he doesn't know what to do. He kills mm. things. And I think it's kind of also a comment on the futility of killing things in in general. Uh, or also how if you train somebody to kill or he wants to do his keep killing. Doesn't mm. matter if it's uh, a human or an animal, let's say. That uh, Criterion restoration that we watched was unbelievable, the quality. Oh my god, like the colours. It's a beautiful film. I think Martin Scorsese was part of the restoration. I was always fascinated by the choices and the storytelling of Paul Pressburger. For example, the big dramatic moments, the duel and the death of his wife, the winning wars, losing wars, all the major events, they just left them out. And what you're left with, what you retain, is the warmth and the love and the friendship, uh, the humorous moments, the tenderness, and a very, very sweet, eloquent sadness. I remember when <laughs> Scorsese came out and started complaining about Marvel movies, which is like, okay, but also shut up, Marty. Um, but, uh, uh, and then there was obviously people defending him and you know all that all the reaction and stuff and like hot takes from various people and uh, Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian pointed out that no one has done more for British cinema than Martin Scorsese has so it's like you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on him completely because obviously the man yeah. is you know and even just for awareness of film as well like he's done a lot of work for archive and all that kind of stuff so yeah we're not gonna knock him but um yeah, like he did also the restoration for the director's cut of uh, Lawrence of Arabia, him and Spielberg, oh. uh, which is quite amazing. Like the because they did it in nineteen ninety, I think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the scenes that they found again, they did it under the the purview of David Lean. David Lean was there to mm. guide them because they only found the raw footage, mm. so they actually had to bring back like. Peter O'Toole and uh, Anthony Quinn mm -hmm. to redub their lines. Oh my god! <laughs> like, which is like so weird for them. Like Peter O'Toole saying is like, yeah. I have to pretend to be a younger version of myself because oh, so you have to sell it, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like, I I'd never heard of this film, and um, like I was talking to my dad earlier, and you know, he this is very much in his wheelhouse. This movie and uh he's never heard of it either and i was like that's kind of interesting and like googling it and it, it seems to have been an oddly forgotten classic um do you have any weird, uh, idea of why well like i think it's also a part of perhaps oversaturation on paul prisberger's films at the time mm -hmm. because the the two movies that we really remembered at that time is uh that they did is a uh, matter of life and death and uh, the red shoes mm. 
and I think that they're both uh, I think Mother Life and Death is slightly overrated um, it's a little bit too theological and so, like it, it's <laughs> it is quite good uh, it is also starring Roger Livesey so uh, he's always good <laughs> uh, I think that uh Red Shoes is quite interesting because Anton Warburton is uh, um, quite uncharismatic in that movie. He's like the villain if there is a villain in that movie. Yeah. But he's still quite like really uh, charismatic. Like he's very like you're watchable. drawn to him. Like very watchable. Mm. And I think that it's so interesting to watch this movie and then that movie <laughs> because you see like Theo is about the best person I've ever seen in cinema <laughs> and then uh, you have everybody else uh, like you have in Red Shoes somebody that is quite despicable but uses his charisma to Succeed. torture people I think mm-hmm. so I I think it's both a mixture of uh, also not having the release that it would have had if it had come out at that time mm-hmm. if it hadn't so even at the time uh, you have Mrs. Miniver as well that is another part of Pressburger if I am not uh, incorrect uh, that it was aimed to try to get Americans into the war oh. and obviously got heavily uh, put forward by the authorities mm-hmm. at the time so I think buried. it's uh, I think this got quite buried that then whenever it got released it's quite you know which of the, it's the same as uh, I know where I'm going the, it's uh, very like I'm not to like say that I'm better than other people I'm not saying that <laughs> like because I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of uh, blind spots when it comes to film but uh, I w- I've watched as much Paul and Pressburger as I can because every movie I really enjoyed it so uh, I've had to like hunt them down mm at that especially like when I started watching them it was like pre-internet or whatever so I had to buy the DVDs and order them from Laserdisc and oh, stuff like that Laserdisc so, mm. uh, so uh, the other thing that I wanted to comment was like um, ask you to see because it's so subversive if we can briefly touch upon all the ways that the movie criticized the British Empire <laughs> Yes, I do want to watch it again because there was definitely, I think whenever we paused it, um, just before she goes into uh, his hospital room, um, Mm -hmm. after what is quite possibly the most hilarious duel of all time. Uh, Not that duels aren't funny, but like, it's just, just, oh god. The whole thing with like the rule book and everything and you know like are you going to roll up your sleeves or cut them <laughs> which one is better oh yeah the 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 the, the swedish military attache do you want to roll up your sleeve or will you rip it off what's better i am not permitted to give advice i think i'll rip it it is definitely better so just before she goes on to his uh, bedroom yes we paused it there I think um, and she hadn't yet got into the room and we were like making dinner and stuff and I was like, like it was a bit like when we did Anatomy of a Murder where I was like how much does is the movie you know is this clear satire and how much of this is like you know it was hard to like fully decide if the film was actually fully um like criticizing or, or also kind of buying into the like you know the campness of it so then obviously as the thing progresses and it becomes more clear of what the film's actually doing it was quite funny but um, I very much enjoyed that that the film kind of because it is like a whole circle as well of how like when it comes back to the start and you're like oh that's you know where you're like all the pieces come together and everything and like this the, the beginning makes sense but it is funny how you know the film doesn't really handhold you which is quite which I quite like like you kind of you're just sort of like thrown in there and you have to kind of like catch up with who everybody is and where he's going and why is he going to Berlin um which I quite enjoyed but um I think really one of my favorite things is is how it it's so like it snorts at other countries of how other countries deal with things while behaving so erratic itself and you know of, of how ultimately it's so convinced that 
you know the British way is the true way ultimately you know it's so like without ever being explicit about it you know of like of kind of going you know you know it's not you know I can imagine like watching this as a British person and it's not like where you you the film ends and you feel horrible about yourself you know you just have a feeling of kind of like oh yeah <laughs> we, we we did that didn't we oh no, no it's like i can't imagine what it would be like to watch this now post brexit like as a british person and just be like oh god the folly the folly of <laughs> of the homeland i think that uh, in a way like the first time that i watched it uh i was um you know very taken aback uh, especially when uh, the mention of concentration camps and <laughs> denying it basically that the British didn't do and they kill uh, so many people but then when you realize that everything that cl- the candy says about politics is wrong <laughs> uh, I think it's a, a thorough line in the movie like on purpose that it's like oh, Germany won't be punished for winning li- th- for losing the war <laughs> where gentlemen and stuff like that every time that he opens his mouth about mm-hmm. politics or the bigger picture he's completely wrong and uh, so i think that it's important whenever going back to it and i think that the moment that really turned my view on the movie the first time that i was watching it is when uh, he meets the south african officer in in the first world war oh yeah and the South African officer says to him, I've learned everything I know from the British. Pity I've got to go. I'd like to have another shot at those prisoners. Oh, I think I've got the idea, sir. I'll tackle him for you. <laughs> and then he finds information. Clive Candy gets handed information that is completely useless, which is a fucking dead giveaway that it was done under distress and torture. Mm. And it was done by the South African and it's the moment that you go like okay it's really like but so under the surface kind of the straight after he says oh it's just german propaganda he goes oh you shouldn't believe what it says in german papers you should believe what it says it's written in english papers <laughs> spreading propaganda all over europe that we're killing women and children in south africa that we're starving them in concentration camps, shooting mothers, burning babies. You wouldn't believe the things they've invented. I don't know how I didn't catch that bit of, <laughs> that bit of satire whenever I watched it the first time. Uh, is the way that like Theo uh, is sorry that he was angry uh, at the guys during that dinner party. Mm. But uh, he wasn't incorrect on his opinion on how the world was going to end up uh, seeing the present and how it would develop to the future Mm. he was completely right there he's just uh, annoyed with himself that he couldn't do both voice his opinion and be Clive's friend Mm. Uh, and it's so like I, I felt so bad also like when he's like just shitting on Clive with his friends like having a cigarette in the train it's like dagger through the heart kind of thing but uh, but deadly is like his return is the speech and what a return oh I have not told a lie about it I I also have not told the truth the refugee soon learns that there's a big difference between the two the truth about me is that I'm a tired old man who came to this country because he's homesick. Uh, what was your favorite thing? Um, my favorite thing is like it is definitely uh, the friendship between Theo and Clive. Uh, I think obviously like you can't not mention the the genius of Paul and Pressburger. Like I I don't think that there is another certainly British filmmaker with filmmakers with the track record that they have it's uh, the batting average of masterpieces <laughs> is quite steady it's like how can you both make like if you think it's this uh, I know where I'm going and uh, the red shoes and uh, a matter of life and death were like four films in a row and you could make an entire class on 
each of the, those films like in for filmmaking uh, that should have like, been our degree <laughs> yeah like uh, it'd be better than watching fucking Shakespeare in love uh, but I think that the, like their friendship is what actually it's the foundation for the movie mm-hmm. and I think that it's uh, I get you when you say like when you rewatch it I, I, I've seen this movie quite a few times so like uh, uh, I, I think I was like 19 the first time that I saw it so it's kind of interesting as well that like the more I watch it, the like I'm getting closer to the middle part of the movie. You know what I mean? And it's then, like uh, when you watch the before trilogy, and how you, yeah. each time you watch it, you sympathize with different uh... <laughs> different characters, different parts. <laughs> yeah, um, that's quite interesting. And I think that like, uh, um, but the French, like I, I do get you whenever you said that. Uh, that it's quite slow in the beginning. I don't find it anymore that way because I can see where the movie is going. I know mm. that this is kind of necessary and then because it is a circular narrative as well, mm. uh, which is very co- uh, Coen Brothers as well. It circular is. narratives. Yeah. So like, uh, I, w- I don't doubt it that like there are fans of Power Pressburg. <laughs> seems, <laughs> it seems likely. Uh, and I'd recommend both to you and everybody else to uh, chase up the red shoes and like uh, um, all of their films uh, I was torn between the red shoes and this one but I thought that this would be a slightly braver decision like pick because I think the red shoes you'd be more likely to watch than this one yeah. so I thought like without the podcast you know we've had this conversation before that sometimes we pick a movie because we just want the other person to watch it <laughs> you're you know never going to get to it independently yeah <laughs> and I thought that it'd be great but like I think the the friendship is amazing and I think their performances are are just out of this world because in fairness Theo in any movie uh, he's the easiest character to, to root for in this mm-hmm. movie but without also liking Clive, it would be very difficult to... And they oh, also God, yeah. fit so well together. And I really like even in their friendship how tactile they are. Mm. They're always like holding each other and grabbing at each other. It and stuff. is it's quite... Very... Yeah, it's a weirdly... It's an interesting film when it comes to like masculinity as well. And like how that plays into the idea of a soldier. And, and how yeah. like Theo is... You know, at no point is he afraid to like show weakness, or you know, even as a younger man, he's very you know, even when he like can't speak English properly, and you know, there's there's a lack of the kind of like uh, ego of that or of, of the like fragile male, <laughs> which is quite ego, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, just as a uh, a little aside, the the other thing that I really like is how many uh, thorough lines the movie has, like the it just keeps calling back to mm. like uh, the use of the word very much oh, it becomes like love so lovely and funny you never met my wife would you like to see a picture of her oh very much <laughs> do you remember when that was all I was able to say in English <laughs> very much but even the, the, the aria is used to like so many different effects as well mm. And uh, the idea, like even the callbacks in the end, that he looks down on the his house, and now it's become a lake. Let's say that it's always oh, calling lake. back to something else. Oh. Yeah, I love that because before, when he's sort of talking about um, his wife, and it's like, oh, you know, of course I loved her, and blah blah blah. But you're a little bit like, oh, per her, and then it's calls back to the the little thing that they had. Clive, you won't change, will you? And don't ever leave this house. No fear. Even if there's a second flood, this house shall always stand on its solid foundations. And we'll have a private lake in the basement. That's a promise. You stay just as you are till the floods come. Till the floods come. And this is a lake. And this this is a lake. Now, here is the lake. And I still haven't changed. (sighs) My heart. Uh, What's your favourite thing? Oh, man. Um... Pro- probably Theo's scene um, that speech really yeah. is like it, it hits you hard it really does like even the way he says Heil Hitler you know it's so like oh, 
just ugh, you know it, and the yeah. blocking as well it's so great how it's moving around and it's like slowly getting to him and also how like big the room is and how small mm. he is and even the guy in the background kind of looking at him every so often as well and and how you did body language of the, the guys in the room change the more he goes on from like skeptical to like full understanding and oh it's, it's a wonderful scene and then whenever it like Clive comes in and he's like can't I hang out with my friend it's like oh uh, and I are uh, the it's so well written and delivered the way that it's like I had the uh, I suddenly the 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 country became familiar and slowly I recognized the road the lake and a nursing home where I spent some weeks recovering almost 40 years ago and I, th- this is one of those things as well, like the, why some movies require to, for them to work to be almost three hours long. Because mm-hmm. when he's talking about like this long ago time where he spent a few weeks of convalescence, mm-hmm. like you feel that that time has passed in a certain way. Like if that happened 20 minutes after he got out of hospital, like... You'd be like, yeah, the fuck? <laughs> but with this, yeah. it's just like you feel that distance and time and everything. And it's like, also, I love how he loves England, like the idea mm. of England, even though he the had been here as a, a prisoner, but he had seen like the beauty of the nature. But his vision of England is the vision of his wife. And he just wanted to do go where she wanted to be. Oh my god, like just thinking about it and nearly tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heart, my wee heart. Uh, do you have a least favorite thing? <laughs> I think it's uh, the probably, even though it's quite like interesting stylistically because I haven't seen anything else, and it's like even with the sound effect, it's very well done uh, and not jumpy considering mm. what it is. Is when like I don't like that Clive kills animals, like I don't mind that he's British, but like that's uh, <laughs> like I one step too far, yeah. <laughs> like game hunters are particularly despicable people, I think, uh, and also like I think that the movie does try to make a comment about uh, society in the sense of like have and have nots even between Clive and his uh, his Batman and uh, how ridiculous it is to be that wealthy kind of thing but uh, at the same time I, I, I do wish that besides but I, I, at the same time it kind of touches upon it because uh, Deborah Kerr's third character the young like the, mm-hmm. the last version of her is clearly very working class and I think that it's again uh, a slight comment about how everybody's pretty much the same that you can have somebody mm-hmm. that is like upper echelon class kind of like uh, Cornwall mm-hmm. uh, gentry <laughs> and somebody that is just a working class girl and they have the same energy and the same thing the only difference is who looked out on having like a wealthy family but perhaps a little bit more about class would have been Mm. interesting because it is so prominent in the movie Uh, but like you said I think the I, I'm very glad that you think it is a masterpiece. I think, <laughs> I think I would have been more disappointed if you just said that it was okay. Like, if you hated it, it would have been like, I'd have the ammunition to defend the movie, I think. But, like, if you were just like, oh, yeah, it was all right. And I was, like, very worried about it when you started. Um, but I am very glad that you, you really liked it. Uh, what is your least favorite thing? Um, probably the opening scene, just because. Why are they all shouting? <laughs> shouting their lines, projecting. I was like, shut up! It's so annoying. And obviously, it's like the point because it's so ridiculous. But yeah, that kind of bothered me a little bit. And even whenever they like circle back to that scene, I was a bit like, oh, here we go again. Because that ki- that kid is so annoying. But um. But at the same time, like, when they get back to the very end and, like, uh, Deborah Kerr's driver character. What's her name? Angela? I can't remember. Like, uh, I just remember that they call her Johnny as well. Yeah. Um, She's so worried that that she's, like, given the game away and she's so worried about Candy, which is quite cute. 
Um, so they kind of bring that back around, but it's still just like, shut up. Oh my god, there's something about British accents being shouted at you as <laughs> simmer down. Um, but I mean, like, in saying that, that's kind of it, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I did love it. And, like, we, re- yeah, we watched it yesterday. We were just both like, oh, that was great. <laughs> so oh, I very really, glad. really want my dad to see it. He, my dad would love it, like, definitely. Um, it was also funny because I thought a little bit about another film about very, very British taking a more propaganda <laughs> look at things, which is Their Finest, which is a movie that I love. Oh, the summertime is coming and the trees are softly blooming and the wild mountain time grows around. Oh yeah, like uh, we like it, it is uh, similar, let's say, in many ways. It's like the type of like they'd be filming this movie, which is the interesting <laughs> thing. Like I, I did like their finest. Uh, it was a, a interesting movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's also funny, like just because like nineteen seventeen is obviously just come out, and I saw that in the cinema, which was kind of an interesting one. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of how I feel about 1917. Roger yeah. Deakins talking about how they made it is more interesting than watching the film. Yeah, I think it's a movie that is like uh, similarly to fucking Gravity or whatever. That is like, mm. it'd be a better movie if you didn't fucking obsess yourself into like fucking making it that way. And also even for the realism that they're trying to to achieve, uh, it degrades the fact that it makes it look like you could walk across like no man's land and into the back of the German lines in 20 minutes or something <laughs> yeah and the fact that that kid should have died so many times yeah. and didn't and I was like okay um, yeah it was a bit ridiculous uh, even like he gets he, like rocks fall in his head yeah he has, he, like what but uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, just a, a final note completely unrelated to this movie but uh, I saw uh, recently Sunshine on Leith that oh, also has uh, uh, it also has uh, George Mackay in it uh, oh. he's the main character in it and it is a very good movie I really enjoyed it uh, I recommend kid. people like especially in this troubling times it is mm. quite a distraction so yeah we need those things so that that's another yeah. another episode. Uh huh. Great talking to you. Uh, <laughs> so lovely movie. Uh, Cheer me up. Thank you. Uh, I I'm so glad that you liked it. Uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I will watch a movie and I just like in my head going like, oh, Orlin must be tripping. You know, like uh, to this like I start watching it. It's like this is very British. I wonder if uh, there'll be like a, an oh what a lovely war moment because like oh what a lovely war is equally British and it has its anti-war messaging and anti-British messaging as well. So with singing, but you weren't able to to look past it. Let's say so. Uh, I was hoping that you would be able to do it this time and I'm very happy that you were yeah. uh, and I'm glad that John liked it as well because he did he did I, yeah. I, I, now it's like the Rorschach dialogue it's like you think <laughs> I'm locked in with you you're locked in with me <laughs> we've had a few of those moments um, <laughs> yeah cool uh, so where can they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on Isolation. Uh, 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 you can find us on uh, Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday, 11 to 12, uh, on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud, on your podcaster of choice, on the Recommendation Game Facebook page, and at the Rec Game on Twitter. The Recommendation Game at gmail.com is our email. And please support now more than ever independent content producers that everybody you're listening to a lot more than before let's say in isolation so support if you can uh, all the people that you listen to or you watch Uh, Dublin Digital Radio has a Patreon which uh, very uh, easy to donate you can donate as little or as much as you want and uh, next week's film is chosen by Orla yeah um <laughs> i never thought we'd ever actually get here but here we are so i am picking oj made in america the uh uh 30 for 30 or 30 30 what the hell's the name of that series um 30 for 30 yeah 
30 for 30 uh, documentary yes it is 70 hours long it has 70 parts. hours seven <laughs> i apologize but also we have the time so yeah. we're gonna do it it'll probably be a two-part episode um maybe with a longer one for the uh the actual podcast so well until then i was Orla McGuinness. and i was ricardo deacon thanks for listening see you in two weeks bye <laughs>